Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to, and not in place, of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. All right, let's get your Bibles out. We're going to get into the Word. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 28. You have your Word there. Genesis 28, verses 10 through 19, I'm going to read. And I want to share a message that I have entitled, A Stone for a Pillow. A Stone for a Pillow. Many of you know where I'm going already, but I think you might be surprised where the Lord leads today. Let's get into it. Verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up for a pillar, and he poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Now, Jacob is an interesting character in the Old Testament because his life represents what God is trying to produce, what he's trying to get at in our own journeys as Christians. Jacob's name means supplanter. His name means heel catcher. See, since Jacob was born, he was fighting and he was deceiving, even the day he was born, to try to get the blessing of God for his life. He wanted everything that God was willing to pour out on him. He wanted to live in it. He wanted to experience it. He wanted the promise that were given to his father, and he wanted the promises that were given to his grandfather. He wanted as much of God's presence and power and protection and provision that he could possibly get. And if we were honest, every true believer that's ever had a real salvation experience has that same innate desire that was inside of Jacob, inside of us. There is a cry, there's a longing, there's a thirst, there's a hunger for every true believer that just wants more. We long to have more of God's manifest presence in our lives. We long to have more of his power to be able to heal and deliver. We long to have more of his protection manifested around us so that we don't have to be under the bondage of fear anymore. We long for more of his provision, more revelation, more of his wisdom, more of the anointing of Christ. 
Every one of us has this sigh and this groan that, that comes up to the surface in times of worship, in times of prayer. And it's this silent cry. It's an unspoken cry that says, God, I don't want to miss out. I want it all. I want everything that you have purchased for me on the cross. I want to live in it. I want to experience it. I want to enjoy it. Oh, God, in your goodness, in your goodness, pour out your blessing on me. In your goodness, give me my inheritance. But here's the thing. No matter what Jacob was able to gain through his deceptions and through his lying, he was never able to truly live or walk in the real blessing of God. He was able to gain lands. He was able to gain birthrights. But those things in and of themselves were never able to satisfy him. In fact, you can see that truth right here in the scriptures that I read to you. Because what happens? Jacob has this unbelievable, incredible vision. And what does he say when he wakes up? He says, surely God was in this place and I had not known it. I didn't know. In other words, I have been lying and deceiving my whole life to get what I wanted, what I thought was the blessing of God, but I missed the real blessing of his manifest presence and his power, which was right here in front of me, and I couldn't see it. I couldn't enter into it. And the sad truth is, that's where many, many, many Christians are at today. We have been using church. We have been twisting scriptures and what it really means to be a follower of Christ, to try to get blessings for ourselves. We've made church out to be what's in it for me instead of how can I become conformed to the image of Christ? How can I live a life serving the needs of other people? It's all about my ministry, church, today. It's all about my blessing. It's all about my identity. It's the worship that I like. It's the style of preaching that I enjoy. Whether we realize it or not, church has become all about us. And there's a type of deception that we have bought into that lies to or even own our own hearts to try to hide that fact. The church universally has taken portions of the scriptures out of context. We've taken the grace and the kindness of Jesus and, and we're twisting it into something that it isn't to be able to justify our own self-centeredness. And we made this our journey with the Lord. Like Jacob, we've deceived and supplanted the truth of what this gospel actually says and again, we've gained, we've gained some measure of blessing in the pursuit, but deep down in all of us, in all of us, we're saying we're missing the real blessing of God. The church is saying this is bankrupt. The presence of God, the power of God, my heart coming alive, the things that I've read through the New Testament, the things that Jesus describes, that's not my reality. What I see in other Christians the revelation they have, the intimacy they have, how alive their hearts are to the Lord. I don't experience that. I don't live in that. I don't walk in that. We get glimpses of it in worship. 
we get glimpses of it at prayer sometimes or at services. And we say like Jacob, surely the Lord is in this place and I had not known it. You know what we're saying? Just like Jacob, you know what we're confessing? There is life, there is joy, there is power in this Christian walk, but I'm not living in it. Surely, surely, surely God is in this. Surely the Lord is here. Surely Jesus, his teachings. Surely there's power. Surely there's a manifestation of his life. Surely there's a place where I I should be coming alive, but I don't live in it. I had a conversation with someone a little while ago who has been to a number of churches over the years. Numbers. And he gave me a list. He gave me a list. He's going through the list of all the things he was happy with in all these churches and all the things he didn't like and and why he was moving from church to church. And in the middle of the conversation, and you have to forgive me because I'm in these conversations a lot. I just can't handle it anymore. My mind, I just sit there and it's just melding my mind. So in the middle of the conversation, I look up and I say to him, I say, all right, stop, 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 stop. You seem to think, this is what I said, that choosing a church is all about your preferences. And he looked up as, as we were having the conversation and he almost stopped as if he was shocked that I would stop him. He actually said to me, he said, you're a pastor. I was like, yeah, and I'm going to pastor right now. So I stopped the conversation, right? We're going to have pastoring. This is going to happen. So he looks at me and it's like a deer in headlights. And he looks at me and he says, well, isn't that what choosing a church is about? And I said, that's what most people think. But choosing a church isn't about your preferences. Listen to me. Choosing a church is about God's calling on your life. Because being part of a local body and a fellowship is a calling from God. Doesn't the Bible say that he gives gifts to men, the Holy Spirit comes, and then he places them in the body as he sees fit? Not how we see fit. Not where we prefer to be. Not where we want to be. That's why I tell people when you're choosing a church, even when they come here, you better be in prayer. You better be listening to God. There better be a confirmation going on in your heart before the Lord. Because this is something more than just coming to a fellowship or getting fed on a Sunday morning. God is calling you to something. And there's going to be things that you're going to be happy with and you're going to enjoy. And there's going to be other things you're not going to like and they're going to make you uncomfortable. I'm going to be completely honest with you. But if you're in a body and hear me on the live stream where nothing bothers you, I guarantee you right now, God has not called you there. (laughs) That you get out, you go to another church. You got to find people that annoy you, that stress you out. Because here's the truth. Here's the, here's the truth. Here's the truth. God is more interested in conforming you into the image of Christ than you getting your order right at the coffee bar. I've heard stuff like, they didn't get my order right. I won't come back to this church. I was like, what? For coffee? Genesis 28, verse 10 through 12. Let me read it again. And then verse 16 through 17, it says, Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and at the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Now God saw Jacob's heart. 
Because even though Jacob was a deceiver and he was a conniver, there was a real desire to really move in and to walk in the presence and the power of God. He really wanted the real thing. He longed for it. He hungered for it. And it was God's heart to bring him into it. So what God does is God actually comes and he visits Jacob and he gives him this incredible vision. And he opens up his eyes, his spiritual eyes in the spiritual realms and he shows him angels that are ascending and descending from heaven. And he's showing them these things. And what God is showing him is he's showing him where the anointing, he's showing him where the power, he's showing him where the manifest presence of God is actually found. See, Jacob had a desire. He was looking for it. He's deceiving. He's conniving to try to get it. God, in his grace and his mercy, says, I'm going to answer. I'm going to answer your searching heart. And I'm going to show you where you could find my power. I'm going to show you where you could find my manifest presence. I'm going to show you. I'm going to reveal it all to you. And he gives him this vision. And he begins to clarify it so that Jacob understands where these things can be located. See, there are two things you need to understand to get what this passage is about. Let me put it up on the screen. Two things you have to see. Number one, let me put it up. Notice where Jacob rests his head. The Bible says that he took a stone, he took a rock, and he put it underneath his head. In other words, Jacob, when he received this vision, when he received this understanding of where the presence, power, and the, the grace of God could be found, he was lying on a very hard place. But number two, watch what Jacob says when he gets up. Notice what he says. He says this, how awesome is this place? Or some translations will say, how dreadful is this place? See, God was showing Jacob through the picture of angels coming and going from heaven that it was his desire, get this, to pour out his supernatural power and his anointing so that he could change Jacob, so that he could rearrange his heart, so he could set him free, set him free of his concerns and his worries, his fears, set him free of his sin, and to change him in such a way that he would become a blessing to other people around him. So much so that through his life and through his lineage, he would bring Christ to this earth to be a blessing to every person who ever walked the face of this world. He said, I want to fill you with so much life that you're going to touch everybody, that it's going to be affected through your walk with me. But when Jacob wakes, he says, this is an awesome place. Or some translations again will say, this is a dreadful place. Now, I know Jacob is speaking about the physical location, maybe where he saw the vision, but it's so much deeper than that because he goes on and says, this is the house of God. This place that God has shown me is where his presence, power, this is where the provision is met. This, this is where God could do something in me that could begin to have a power to be able to affect other people. Where I'm not just praying small little prayers, but I'm praying with faith. I'm praying with authority. When I talk with people, when I, when I hang out with them, there's a life that's going to come through me. He says, this place, this house of God where this provision is made. He says, this place is a dreadful place. Now that word dreadful in the Hebrew, let me put it up here. It means wonder or awe towards God, but it can also mean, get this, a feeling that something might go wrong or that you might suffer harm. How many of us have been there with the Lord? Have you ever been to a church service? You ever been to a conference? There's an altar call? You go down to the front to surrender your whole life to God. 
You want to give him everything. You're giving him your plans, your career, your relationships, and you're giving it to him because you want to be used by him, right? And you know the Holy Spirit has borne a witness inside of your heart that it's through this place of absolute surrender and humility, the only place where the Holy Spirit could begin to come and begin to unlock revelations of who Jesus is to you unlike anything you've ever experienced before. And you walk, and you get up from that altar, and suddenly things begin to shift, and they change in your life. You start reading through the scriptures. You start looking through the Old Testament, and where these stories were confusing, or they boggled your mind. Suddenly, you start seeing the beauty of God's holiness. Suddenly, it's captivating your attention, and you're looking, and you see Jesus. You're seeing Jesus in the story of David. You're seeing Jesus with Goliath. You're seeing Jesus in the story of Joseph. You're seeing Jesus all over the book of Daniel. And you're starting to see his love in all new prisms and new ways. And it's captivating you. That place of surrender, that place of humility has prepared you. It has set the seed, the soil to say, to receive the seed in your own heart. And the spirit of God is unlocking things like you could never imagine. And then through the revelation, through that place of surrender, there's an authority that starts rising up with you. You start talking to your neighbors. You start talking to your family. They say something's different about you. Something's different. You're becoming one of those Jesus freaks. You used to go to church, but, but there's something inside of you. There's a passion about you. When you lay hands on people, there's an authority when you pray, a faith. You know your God in ways like you've never known him before. You're not just praying prayers. You know who he is. And you're laying hands with authority. There's power that's flowing through your life. Oh, when you answer an altar call like that, you surrender your life to that level there's an awe that comes in that moment, isn't there? And then at the exact same time, there's a dread. There's a dread. Because your mind starts thinking about all the things that could go wrong. Your mind starts thinking about what this might actually cost you. You start thinking about the rejection, possibly even the persecution that you're going to have to face if you truly surrender everything to God. And there's this dread that starts coming on you. It gets to a point where you begin to realize that this blessing of knowing God like this, this experiences of angels coming and going, the advancement of God's kingdom, listen to me, is a hard place. It's a hard place for the flesh. When you're doing it right, when it isn't one foot into the kingdom, one foot into the world, when you jump both in, I'm telling you right away, it is a hard place. Think about it. These promises of God were given to a man who had a stone underneath his head. Do you understand that? Probably the most difficult time in Jacob's life. Probably the hardest season he ever experienced. When he's got nothing left but a stone underneath his head. He's got no family. He's got no cattle. He's got no sheep. He's got no provision. He's got nothing. And he's got a stone underneath his head. And at that moment, God begins to give him this revelation. And he says, Jacob, it's right here, right here, where I'm going to pour out my blessing. Right here, my presence is going to come. Right here, my power is going to affect your hearts. I'm going to keep you wherever you go, Jacob. And you're going to see miracle after miracle after miracle until I bring you back to this place. How many would say, well, Pastor Michael, that's exactly where I am right now. 
gave my life to God. I've journeyed with him a number of years, some of you 10, 20, 30 years, some of you just, just came to know the Lord, and you're saying this journey has now led me into a very difficult place, a hard place. It's brought division into my family, right? It's brought persecution in my work. I mean, my job is on the line now. I've been led somewhere that's really difficult. I've been led somewhere that's, that's trying. I've lost my dreams of what my flesh thought my life should be. But what we miss is that it's in those hard places. It's when we're stuck with a rock for a pillow that there is power and revelation of God that you can't experience or get any other way. It's the hard places that prepare our hearts. It's the hard place where we have to depend on him like we've never depended on him before. A place where we have to start really exercising faith. You can't just flow through it anymore. You gotta actually exercise. You gotta learn to encourage yourself in the things of God. You gotta go through spiritual warfare and know what those things are actually. It's in those places that there's revelations of his presence, revelations of who he is, power that you've never come into that begins to flow into your life. Not so, not so you could just be blessed in and of yourself, but you'll be so radically changed that you pour it out on other people. That you give it to others. Let me try to drive the point home through the life of Jesus, who's the ultimate fulfillment of this vision. What, what did Jesus say? He says, you're going to see heaven open, and you're going to see angels coming, ascending, and descending on the Son of Man, right? He says, you're going to see this. You're going to experience this. But the question then becomes, where did that happen in the ministry of Jesus? Where did angels come and go and bring that power of God onto the life of Christ? Now, most of us would sit here and say, well, that's easy, Pastor Michael. Every time he drove out a demon, every time he healed somebody, heaven was open, and angels were ascending and descending, and the power of God was manifesting. And that's true. That's right. Yes, 100%. But let me show you one area in the Bible where Jesus had angels coming, ascending and descending on him that many times we skip over or we don't pay attention to when we're reading through the New Testament. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, and I'll read verses 1 through 2 and then 5 through 11. And I want you to see this. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the devil took him to the holy city, set him up on a pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Now verse 7, Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory, and he said to him, all these I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now, this is an interesting portion of the Bible because the devil, listen to me, is actually using what angels can and sometimes will do to try to tempt Jesus. 
You have to understand what he's saying when he quotes Psalm 91, when he says that the angels would give charge over you so you don't dash your foot against a stone. He's twisting the word of God. Really what he's saying is that the power of heaven, the angelic beings, the authority of God, all of this exists, Jesus, to keep you from any danger or harm. Any place that's hard, any place that you're scared of, any place that causes anxiety, any place that you're overwhelmed with. No, 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 no. Angels have been given charge. The power of God. They're supposed to come on a ladder, up and down, like Jacob, like what you've quoted. And they're supposed to keep you from these places. You should never go through suffering. You should never go through areas where it looks difficult or trying. He says, angels exist for this. And he's trying to twist a theological perspective into the heart of Christ. He did it with Adam, the first Adam. He said, you could be as God. He took a theology, a perspective, and he twisted it into a lie to try to get Adam to sin. And then he's doing it with the second Adam all over again. You serve God. You never go through hardship. You serve God. You'll never experience hard places. Take of this theological perspective. This is what angels are supposed to do. This is what they can do. And this is what they sometimes will do. So rely on that. Angels are supposed to come and immediately fix broken marriages. No repentance, no humility, no submission. Just fix it. Angels are supposed to come and radically save prodigal children every time. You don't have to get a promise from the word. That promise doesn't have to be tried by faith. You don't have to stand on it in prayer. You don't have to labor in prayer. Just, just, just save them. That's what angels do. Angels are supposed to come, heal all the mental illness in our country, and stop all the violence with one prayer meeting. One prayer meeting. Show up for one fasting and prayer as a church. Angels will handle the rest. See, angels, according to Satan are supposed to create a type of divide between the saved and the unsaved. The unsaved, they go through trials. The unsaved, they go in hard places. The unsaved, they sometimes lose their job and they they have financial insecurity. But the saved, no, 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 no. You're just protected from that. And you just grow from prosperity to prosperity. You never have to deal with any of that coming into your life. And listen, I need you to get this. There is a large amount of the church today that believes that junk. They believe it. And the crazy part is, 90% of the people in the church are suffering or going through something, and they still won't admit it. And Satan says, this is where God's provision is found. This is where his blessing is at. This is where it all manifests. When this is happening in your life, then you know God is with you. Isn't that what he was saying to Jesus? Throw yourself off. And if he saves you, you know he'll be with you. He's with you. But Jesus knew it was only a half truth. See, Satan loves to take a little bit of truth and then get a lie going with it, right? It's a half truth. Do do angels come and deliver? Do angels come? Does the power of God come and rescue and get us out of hard place? Yeah, it happens. Amen. There's actually a testimony right in front of us. Praise God. 
But sometimes God says, but the power of God, the provision and the presence that you're seeking isn't gonna be found just through the deliverance this time. It's gonna be found with you walking me through it. It's gonna be found when you go through the hard place with me. There's something there you can't get anywhere else. And what we have to understand as a church, this is what we have to grasp, is if God is gonna produce what he wants to bring on this earth for this generation, because he's in the process of birthing something, and it's gonna come through the church. Listen to me, the only way we understand that type of revelation and operate in that type of power is if we allow him to bring us through the hard places. If we say, God, you can have my life, I'll go with you if you'll produce it. And you gotta understand, I listen to the church all the time. I sit down with conversations, I'll have cups of tea. And, and what I've noticed in the church is we just want the glory days. We want what it was like in the past, right? We all know something has changed in our country and around the world. We all recognize that there's spiritual forces that we have never faced in our generation before that have been unleashed in our cities. They have been unleashed in our country. They've been unleashed on our children. They've been unleashed on our families. And the church just wants to go back. We just want the glory days. We, we want the 90s of the charismatic preachers. We, we want the Jesus movement, which, which I praise God for every one of those seasons in the kingdom of God. But what if God says, I'm not going back. I'm producing something new. What if God says, it's not in the past. I'm in the process of birthing it in the church. You're the answer. Not some charismatic preacher. Not some TBN, not some, not some TV channel. You're the answer. God said, you're the one I'm trying to produce this life into. I'm not going back. It's not going to be just people just flooding in here like zombies because they were zapped by the Spirit of God. He says, your prayers in this house is preparing your heart because I'm trying to produce something inside of you that is going to affect this nation. And God's saying, but many times to produce it, you have to go through the hard places. That's where the vision comes. That's where the open heaven, when all you got left is a stone for a pillow, God's saying, that's, that's when you start experiencing something of me that you've never experienced before. Can I close with a personal testimony? I was debating whether I should share this, but I felt like the Lord put it on my heart. When I got saved 20 years ago, I had two elders at Times Square Church come up to me. Within a two-month span, they both gave me a word. I was at a Bible study, and one of the elders came up to me after the Bible study. I was in the kitchen. Came up to me and said, God gave me a word for you in prayer. He says, you're a mighty man of valor. He's gonna raise you up to be a mighty man of valor. I'm 21 years old. I know nothing about the Bible. Right? So I look at him. I'm like, well, that sounds weird. So I kind of like pass him up. I grab a few mints off the table and I kind of walk out of the Bible study. But about a month or two months later, I'm going into Times Square Church and one of the elders comes down the stairs and Elder Jerry, and he, he comes up to me and he grabs me. And I don't talk to Elder Jerry that often, but he grabs me. And he says, God gave me a vision. He gave me a dream last night. You're gonna be in front of a large group of young people. There's gonna be teenagers everywhere. And he told me you're gonna be a mighty man of valor. He's gonna raise you up as a mighty man of valor. And I was like, what in the world are these guys talking about? So I go home and I start praying over this word. I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying. And months go by and God's bringing no clarity. Years go by, no clarity. 
And in the midst of those years, I end up at Bible school. I have no idea why I'm at Bible school. People say, was there a calling on your life? I was like, I have no idea why I was there. I was just there, okay? So I'm in Bible school. I'm yelling every single day at the Lord because I don't understand why I'm at Bible school, right? And, and I have this word of being a mighty man of valor. And as I'm at Bible school and I'm coming to the close of my three years, the last couple months, I got to make a decision of what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And there was three options on the table. I could go back to Ireland, which is a place that I served as an intern at a church. And the pastor there said that he would mentor me and raise me up as a leader. So I could go back to Ireland. I could go back to New Jersey, which is where I was from, and kind of re-kick and restart my life. Or there was one more option that was given to me. And it was an option to go to Tyler, Texas and work for a mission organization called World Challenge, which moved here to Colorado. That's how I ended up here in Colorado. And out at this, this big, big Bible school, all that you could do there in the afternoons was pray. There's just this huge campus to pray. So I go out and I start praying over these options. I'm praying over Ireland. I'm praying over going home. And then, and then I come to Texas. I come to Tyler, Texas. And no joke, no joke, I'm literally like spreading sackcloth out on the ground. And I'm just lying there and rubbing myself with ashes all over my face and my body because I'm just thinking in my mind, I can't go to Texas. <laughs> Te Texas, I'm from, do you understand the culture shock? I learned, listen, I called people up as I was trying to make the decision and asked them if there was sushi in Texas. I was like, do they, do they have sushi? Did, I had no idea. It was such a culture shock. And I remember praying to God. I said, I will go anywhere, anywhere. Africa, I'm in. China, I'm in. Concentration camp, I'm in. Listen, I'm not even joking. You think I'm joking. I said, but not Texas. That place got people with hats. They wear boots. They have guns. That, that, that's not a place I'm supposed to go. So I'm praying over these three options, and I'm going through it, and I get to the, in my Bible the next night, and I'm reading through the story of Naaman. Anyone ever remember Naaman? Naaman and Elijah? Naaman is called a mighty man of valor, so it catches my attention, but Naaman had leprosy. And I always felt that I had this spiritual leprosy in my life. Like I was called to be this leader that God wanted me to be, but, but I had this leprosy. Something was holding me back. And people don't know this. Leprosy is not a disease that eats away your skin and just causes your limbs to fall off. No, no, no. Leprosy eats away your nervous system to where you don't feel anything anymore. And you end up banging your limbs and hitting your limbs on things and you don't even realize it. You just start bleeding all over the place and even lose it sometimes. But it's a nervous system. It's a place where you don't feel any more pain. I felt like God wanted me to be a leader, but listen to me. I hated pain. I do anything I can to run away from pain. If I had to have a confrontation with someone, I couldn't do it. If I had to face the fear of man, I couldn't do it. If I had to literally have a sit down with somebody and just talk something through, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with the emotional pain, the feeling of rejection. So I was always sidestepping my own calling. I wouldn't enter into it. And as I'm sitting there and I'm praying, I go through the story. And what does Elijah say? He tells Naaman, if you go where? If you go down to the Jordan and you dip seven times, you're going to be healed. Now Naaman says, well, there's two other rivers in Damascus that I'd rather dip in. Those two rivers I looked up in the Hebrew. It was interesting. And I prayed this prayer the night before. I said, God, if I go to Ireland, it's going to be a hard place. 
I was there before and I failed in my leadership and I'm gonna have to face some hard things. It's gonna be like rocks. It's gonna be very hard, very difficult. If I go back to New Jersey, this is what I pray, it's gonna be fast paced. Jersey's fast. My family, they run businesses, they're in, they're in government. We go fast. There's never a second to even catch your mind. I'll never have the intimacy I had for you. But if I go to Texas, that's the worst place, right? And then what do you know? I look up the Hebrew names for those rivers. First one meant hard, filled with rocks. The second one in Damascus was fast-paced. And I felt like the Lord said, your healing will be found in the Jordan. I will heal you of that leprosy if you go to the one place you don't want to go. The one place that's hardest for your flesh, if you'll follow me there, you don't get, this, you don't get to circumvent this. You follow me. And I'm gonna be honest, even though God was so gracious and he knew there was only so much I could take and moved me to Colorado, not to Texas, Colorado for me, for a lot of years, was a very hard place. I spent a year in isolation when I first moved here. I didn't have any faith family. I didn't know anyone realistically. My, my work, I didn't, I just, we weren't hanging out with each other. So I was just in an apartment. I didn't watch TV and I didn't have movies. So I was just there in silence most weekends. After I got through that, after that whole year, I stepped in being a youth pastor. Now I had to be confronted by every parent in the church. Do you know what that's like? My goodness, it wasn't easy. There was nights, people don't know this, there was nights I'd drive back from the youth services and I'd sit on a curb over in the Briargate, prom, uh, the shops, and I would just sit there feeling overwhelmed. And then God called me to be a senior pastor. And everybody looks at this. They say, oh, isn't this amazing? You get to get up here and preach. No one has any idea of the spiritual warfare that goes with it. You have no clue. You have no idea what my wife and myself have to fight through, sometimes weekly during certain seasons and certain periods, especially a church that's willing to pray. We get hit. There are times I sit up here, and I'm going to be completely vulnerable. There are times I say, and I can physically feel the resistance of the enemy. I feel him, and I got to push past it. This was not an easy place, but I found something of God here. He started unlocking things in scriptures about him that I've never seen before. And there came power over my life that I never experienced before. An anointing that I've never known. But it came in the hard place. Stay with me, Springs Church. I want to close because I, I felt this on my heart as I was praying this week that there's many people right now that you've been on a journey with the Lord and he's led you to a difficult place. Maybe a difficult place in your family, difficult place in your work. Maybe you're just under a lot of spiritual warfare and you're just in a very difficult place. And I wanted to take a moment to pray for you because I really feel in my heart God saying, yes, I'm gonna deliver some, you're gonna be delivered and you're gonna walk through this. But for many, I'm gonna walk you through it. I'm gonna reveal something of myself that you've never known before. You're gonna operate in a power that you've never had before. And if you're in this place right now and you say, Pastor Michael, I'm in that difficult place and I need just strength from the Lord. I, I just want prayer this morning. Would you just come up to the front? I wanna close just praying for you. Anybody in this place says, I just, I feel it. I'm in a difficult place. Transition. How many people in transition here this morning? Transition. Come up. I want to pray. I want to lift you up. I want to lift you up.
Come on up, come on up, come on up. Guys. I want to give you a promise. And then I want to pray for you. And this is the promise that's, that was on my heart this morning. It's right out of the chapter we read. It said, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I'm going to give it to you and to your offspring. Now, the land for Jacob in that season was the promise. He was promised that land. That, it was a covenant promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob that Israel would be their land. Now, God has given you spiritual promises. He's promised to set you free. He's promised to put in you a heart that loves him. He's promised to minister to your family, bring freedom to them. There's promises he's given to you. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm going to give it. You're going to get the promises. I'm going to be faithful to it. And he goes on. He says, the land on which you lie, I'm going to give it to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, the north and the south. And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, listen, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. And I'm going to bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God's saying, listen, even if you're a hard place, I'm going to be with you all the way through it. And I'm going to bring you back. The promise is going to be real. I'm going to make it real in your life. And I'm not going to leave you until it is done. Until you walk in my presence. Until you walk in my power. Until what I'm trying to produce in you is finally finished. He says, I will not leave you. You know what God's saying? You don't have to be afraid. I got you. Father, I lift up everybody who's come to the altar this morning, Lord. I wish I could communicate this the way that you've worked it into my life. I wish I could just, I wish I could just stand up and say, yeah, it's hard, but it's worth it. There's so much joy and freedom and life and authority that's found in this way. I wish I could just get up here and just, I can make it clear, but I can't. So now I just ask, Holy Spirit, you would come. And you would minister to every single heart in this house. And you would show them that even though circumstances have come together in their lives that have created a type of a storm, a hard place, that you are there, that this is the house of God, that your provision is going to be there, that your presence is going to be there, that you're going to move them into something that they've been hungering for their whole lives with you. You're going to answer every one of their cries. And there's promises that you have given to them that you're going to bring to fulfillment in these hard places, God. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would give a gift of faith today. Just a gift of faith to believe that. A gift of faith, God that they're not outside of God's will, that you didn't lift your hand off of them, that you're not mad at them. No, you're working something inside of them, God. You're giving them an open heaven. Angels are ascending and descending. This, this is the place where the power of the kingdom of God is found. God, I plead that you would give a gift of faith and every lie the enemy is using to bring fear we come against it in the name of Jesus. 
Fear that you won't be faithful. Fear that they won't get through to the other side. Fear that you won't bring them back to the land, that the promise won't be fulfilled. God, any fear that the enemy is trying to bring, we pray in the name of Jesus that it would be broken. You would set your people free. And today, today, there'd be a promise that would be so sealed inside of them. There'd be a promise of such faith that you would give that they'd walk out of this house with joy in their hearts singing, saying, no, 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 no. There's a few days ahead. I got to walk through some things, but God is with me and he's going to get me where I need to be. And there is life in it. There is joy. There's anointing. There's power. I'm going to come into everything that he's promised to give me. God, I pray that you would give it. I can imagine Jacob leaving as he was coming out of that vision, Lord God, in that place of awe and dread, how his heart was just alivened because of what you spoke to him. Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website springs.church.